Did I miss the Sunday school lesson where um, people learn how to take their palm branches and weave them into these incredible looking crosses? Because I'm looking down, I'm like, who, who does this? And I don't know if you're trying to say something because a lot of them are pointed at me this way. So I don't know. I just don't have that skill. So we have some skilled people. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. <clears throat> hey, um, speaking of the bulletin, pull out this card if you have it in your bulletin. It says renew. It's purple and multicolored. <clears throat> Pull that out. Let me see it. Can you just show it to me? Show me that you have it. There we go. Okay. Well, as Sarah said, next week we are doing a brunch, and um, we're going to celebrate Easter, the resurrection of our Lord. And what you have in your hand here is an opportunity. Okay? This is an opportunity for you to invite a friend, a coworker. It's going to be a very simple, straightforward gospel message. We're going to have a good time together. Josh Booth and um, Jenna have put together a wonderful worship set for us. So just straight up Jesus, straight up gospel in a very simple and approachable way. Um, we want you to come. We want you to bring your friends. So do me a favor. Hold the purple card in your left hand. Take your right finger. Put it on the card. We're going to pray right now, okay? Here we go. Father, <clears throat> thank you that in our hand right here is an opportunity. And we do ask that even by faith you would start to stir in our minds and our hearts right now. Who is that coworker or that colleague or that neighbor, that friend that has been on our heart. We've wanted to have them experience church. We've wanted them to experience the life of Christ and the saving power of Jesus. We ask, Lord, will you please anoint this card to go out to that person, even bring to our mind right now the best opportunity in the week. And Lord, if no one is coming to mind, we just trust you, Lord. Let it be the gas station attendant, the uh, uh, grocery store employee, the postal worker that we can share this with and just say, hey, um, I'd love for you to come. Join me on Easter. Bring those, those free radicals, too, that come through the week. And we just ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. There's more of these available uh, out, out in the foyer, so take one, take more if you need them. I think there's nothing more beautiful than a man or a woman who is walking fully in all that God has for them. There is nothing as beautiful as a man or a woman walking fully in all that God has for them. In fact, it was St. Irenaeus, Irenaeus, excuse me, and um, I've quoted him in this gym before, but he says that the glory of God is man fully alive. And who is this guy? St. Irenaeus, he is just two generations down from John. John, the gospel writer. John, the disciple, follower of Jesus. John invested in a man named Polycarp. Kind of gave everything he had had to a guy named Polycarp. Polycarp then invested all he had in a guy named Irenaeus. And it was this man that said, the glory of God is man fully alive. And his ministry was in what is now Lyon, France, southeast corner of France. When I get around people who just, I feel like, man, this, this person is just all that God's made him to be, I just get excited. And I think about last fall, I was at a banquet, an organization called Mass Family Institute, and the leader of this organization is a guy named Chris Minot. And this is one of these guys. He is a retired Air Force pilot 
was shot down in Vietnam um, by God's grace, uh, did not lose his life. Now in his 60s, he could easily just say, hey, I'm just going to take my Air Force retirement, kind of cruise on into this season of my life. But instead, he's got fight in him. And um, without wanting to offend any political sensibilities in the room, he's just fighting for things that, uh, uh, a lot of things that we see going on in the Commonwealth that are hard for us, for a lot of us as believers, things like the right to life or how we define marriage, things like that. And in a state where it's very difficult to fight for these things, he's got fight in him. And I just see him fully alive, fully engaged in all that God has for him. That makes me excited. When I get around him and people like him, it stirs up this thing in me. It's like, I feel like this butterfly trying to come out of a cocoon, and um, I'm just trying to also be like that. Who, God, have you made me to be? Well, set me on a course, God. Set me ablaze, and I don't want to be stopped by anything. I love Chris Minos. He's just unafraid, and he's fully engaged, and it's awesome. What about you? When you think of someone who's fully engaged and fully alive, who comes to mind? And more importantly for us today, what does the scripture have to say about how we can all get there? What does the scripture have to say about how we can all get there, fully being what God has called us to be? Let's take a look. We're going to take a look first at a picture of a person fully alive. His name is, you can guess, Jesus. Yes. Same people who are in Sunday school to tie up those things. Know how to answer that. Okay, thank you. Um, Jesus. Yep. And then we're going to take a look at what made him tick. You know, how, how was he able to be kind of unafraid and fully engaged and all that God had called him to be as the son of man and the son of God. So turn with me to Luke 19. It is this triumphal entry that we're celebrating today. Luke 19, we're going to start at 28. And what I want to show you here, if you just think now, in a few months we're going to celebrate, a few months, it's not quite here, but in a few months we're going to celebrate the 4th of July. You know the fireworks show, how they try to alternate, like there's like the kind of weeping willow firework that's like, ooh, that's pretty. Then there's like, boom, like one that kind of expands really fast, looks like a universe just exploded. You know, at the end, there's like all the percussive, like boom, 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 those white things going off, like really flash and like you feel it in your stomach. Basically, you're, gonna, you're about to see a fireworks show of Jesus, okay? In a very short span, Jesus is going to be all over the map emotionally. And what I'm after is, what's, what's behind all this emotion and how does it come out so wonderfully as it does in Jesus, okay? So let's have a little fireworks show with Jesus. And we're after this question, how, what does the scripture have to say about how we get to that place of being fully alive, all that God has called us to be? Because this is definitely the climax of Jesus' life, right? As we enter Holy Week, his final few days in Jerusalem before his crucifixion, he is really going out in a blaze of glory, and it's wonderful. Okay, triumphal entry. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, and what he had just said was he had given the uh, parable of the talents. Maybe you're familiar with it. He talked about whether you get one, two, five, or ten, you want to respond to God in such a way that you um, multiply things for the kingdom. And, um, and that was in Jericho. So he went on ahead going to Jerusalem, about a ten-mile journey. Okay, so he's got a few hours on foot walking from Jerusalem. He had just, excuse me, walking from Jericho, and he had just had the whole Zacchaeus thing happen as well. So if you remember Zacchaeus, short guy in a tree, uh, and uh, just Jesus kind of inviting himself over for lunch, and it changes a guy's life. And Jesus says, hey, salvation has come to this house. 
He said, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. So Jesus is just having a great time of ministry here. And now he's walking this 10-mile journey to Jerusalem. Surely his face is set like flint, as the Scripture says, to what is ahead of him. And listen what we see. It says, as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, this is a hill that faces Jerusalem, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Okay, so firework number one. Jesus is being totally playful. And I don't know about you, but if I know what's coming down the pike, and it's a hard thing that's coming down the pike, it's hard for me to get playful. But to see the playfulness of Jesus, where he's like, Hey, guys. I want to invite you into this really fun thing that's going to happen. Like, let's, let's, let's see this thing played out, you know? Jesus probably has this prophecy from this uh, prophetic word from Zechariah in his mind that he needs to ride on a colt. You know, I don't know how it all works out in the sovereignty of God, but he says, guys, do this thing. And I think Jesus is, like, really enjoying bringing these guys into it. It's kind of like on my days off when me and J.D. will wake up before Kelsey, my wife, and I start to plot with J.D. And I say, J.D., how can we scare the whatever out of Kelsey, okay? Let's do this. And we, wah, we plot together and we run into the bedroom and invade and Kelsey does her usual. Kelsey has two words that whenever she's startled out of sleep come out of her mouth and they are, what's happening? What's happening? So I can like, <laughs> I can be leaving for work the day, be like, bye honey. She's like, what's happening? What's happening? So it's awesome. <clears throat> Anyways, but it's so worth it. And I just, I don't want to just, I don't want to, I don't want to be alone in my enjoyment of Kelsey saying, what's happening? What's happening? So I bring JD on it and we attack and it's awesome. <laughs> playful. Jesus is at first very playful. And that surprises me at this hour, given the gravity of the hour, the fact that he's so playful is really fun. And now we continue on and we see this. As he went along, People spread their cloaks on the road. As I mentioned a moment ago, it's John and Mark's gospel that tell us that they also put down the palm leaves, the very things that we just did. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, if you can picture again, uh, there is a um, kind of a winding road down to a, um, you know, uh, where a brook would run when it was winter, and then a hill back up to Jerusalem. So he's coming down to go back up. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. Okay, so here's firework number two. We have Jesus being really playful first, and now we have Jesus totally the center of attention, but not the center of his own attention. Okay, there is a raging crowd here. And as I mentioned earlier, this crowd is mostly instigated. Both the scriptures and history kind of tell us that it was the crowd that had seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And it is, it is not that they're just hoping for a political 
Savior here, but they have read Jeremiah. And they know that God is about to establish a new covenant, a new way of relating to his people. And they've got this in mind, and they're thinking, this could be the one. And so they just start to worship him, and they give him honor and praise. They recognize him as the messianic hope that they've been looking for, even quoting from a very messianic scripture that Psalm 18, 118, excuse me, they're borrowing from, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, right? Here's a king. Like you see what they're saying? It's pretty radical. He's not just a teacher, a prophet. He's not just a good guy, but he is our king. They'd experienced Jesus. They had seen Lazarus raised from the dead. And they're saying, hey, this is our man. And I wish I could have been there to see how this went down. Like verse 39 and 40. Because right now, there's a buffer between Jesus and the Pharisees. You know, if you know anything about the story of Jesus, you know that during his public ministry, they started to go head-to-head a lot. And actually, Jesus' most harshest words were always for the religious crowd. Always. And um, the crowd is loud. They're worshiping Jesus. And the Pharisees are kind of like, silence them. You know, this, is, this is blasphemy, what's going on here. And again, the, the, the crowd's the buffer. So I can just kind of see Jesus' eyes locking under the eyes of one of these Pharisees. All this commotion, and there's a, hey, but if I don't tell him to be quiet, or if I tell him to be quiet, the stones will shout out. A very clear reference that they all would have understand. It's from one of the minor prophets. His name is Habakkuk. And that, that reference there, it's Habakkuk 2.5. It would have, it's like, kind of like, let the reader understand. I am who I am. In John's gospel, we see Jesus saying something radical. When Jesus said, um, he said, it, uh, you know, that he was taken, that the Pharisees were taken to task. And he said, before Abraham was, I am, right? Boom, that's like a, I don't know, that's a low blow to the Pharisees, okay? That's him saying, I am God. Same thing's going on here. If, you, if I tell him to be quiet, the stones are gonna cry out. And I wish I could have been there. Now, the wonderful thing about Jesus in this, in this passage is, I love that, as I mentioned just a moment ago, he is the center of attention, but I believe with all my heart that he's not the center of his own attention. There's a lot of rejoicing going on. He's very comfortable in who he is. He's not embarrassed or like, okay, you know, I'm kind of the son of God, I guess. You know what I'm saying? He is secure in who he is. Now, yes, we know from scriptures that before when he would heal people, he would say, hey, don't tell anyone now. But I don't think it's because Jesus was insecure. I think Jesus was a wise man who knew that he was operating enemy territory. In other words, he knew that guys were out to get him, and so he was wise about how he had people explain the healings. Of course, he couldn't keep a lid on it. You know, when Jesus healed people, they would go bananas and be so excited, and the word would spread. <clears throat> but you know how I know from reading the Gospels, you know how I know that Jesus was worshipped and lauded and enjoyed in a big celebration and didn't cause him any problem emotionally? I know because I look at John. And the book of John says this. I think it's, it's John 12. Basically, it says, as Jesus came up that hill, right? What would you imagine Jesus, the first thing he would say as he got up that hill? You know, all these people worshiping. Now they're coming to Jerusalem. Jerusalem's like totally engorged with people because it's the Passover feast. People from all over the place. Crazy setting, just wild. You know, anyone been out in Salem and Halloween? You know what I'm saying? Just crowd, fun, Okay. 
What does Jesus say? Does he say, wasn't that awesome? I'm the man, you know? Finally, people realize, let's get the show on the road. Jesus doesn't say anything of the sort. He says this. And talk about record scratch, you know? Someone do that sound effect for me there. Like in a movie when all of a sudden, whoa. Okay, record scratch. Jesus says, he's, he, you know, Jesus, you're the life of the party. What does he say? He says, hey, guys, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. Now, that's kind of a Debbie Downer. Thanks, Jesus. We're here partying for you, and all you got to say is death. And he says, you know, but if that kernel of wheat dies, it produces more seed. So Jesus is very sober. In other words, I don't get the feeling that the joy of the crowd has carried him emotionally to a place he doesn't need to go. He's very secure. And he says this. He says, again, Debbie Downer, he says, hey, now my heart's troubled. What shall I say? This is John 12, 27. Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came. Father, glorify your name. And it says, then a voice came from heaven. This is kind of wild. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there, right, the same crowd that just brought him up the hill, said, had heard and said that it had thundered. So, fireworks display of emotion for Jesus. It doesn't rock Jesus' world internally because he's got a real sober sense of mission. Okay, so we got Jesus being really playful. We got Jesus in this awesome scene of rejoicing, but it doesn't carry him to a place where he doesn't need to go. It's not about him. And now we get to this third scene. Okay, you ready for firework number three? <clears throat> Verse 41, he says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Whoa. And said, If you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. And I love this last line. It says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus was secure enough to weep over the people. Is Jesus just unstable emotionally? Is the pressure of Holy Week just getting to him? I don't think so. I think this man is free and he cares enough about this city and the people in it that he weeps freely. It is true. A mere 40 years later, right? History tells us. 40 years later, Jerusalem does get besieged and crumbles. And Jesus weeps over the city because he longs for them to know how much God loves them. Matthew's version of this story says this. He says, Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets, stone those sent to you. How often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. He said, Look, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus is free enough to weep over The city, knowing that even shortly, I, I, I imagine he must know that there's going to be turn here in the next week or some of the same crowd that's shouting Hosanna is going to be a crowd that's saying crucify him. 
Jesus weeps. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm thankful for those moments when my heart does get affected by things. What I mean is, I feel like with uh, the unbelievable barrage of bad news that we hear, my heart gets hard. Maybe it's also someone who's kind of in a caregiving profession too. Sometimes I feel like I can get, I can get hardened to um, people's experiences, and that makes me scared and sad. So when we had, I think it was about a month ago, when we had our Freedom Sunday, you remember we were all sitting here watching that video of this 13, 14-year-old girl, you know, passed around at a truck stop, and we heard her mom's testimony and her testimony, and the mom crying, saying, thank God that there is a trucker at that truck stop who had the presence of mind to call the police so that my daughter could get rescued. It was a hard transition for me to go from there to up here in a short time because I was affected by that video. And I share that to just say, part of me was like, God, thank you, there is a heart inside this chest because sometimes I feel like there's just a heart of stone in here. But God has given me a heart of flesh in the sense that Ezekiel talks about it, a heart that's soft. And it just makes me go, okay, thank you, God, there's compassion there. Lord, continue to... Let me have compassion. Like we just sang, we just worshiped, right? And we said, God, break my heart with the things that break yours. That's a prayer that I continue to pray. Lord, please break my heart with the things that break yours. It's to cure people who can weep over the things that are broken in our world. And Jesus wept for Jerusalem, wishing that they could have understand that God was coming to them now. If only they could have seen it. Amen? <clears throat> okay. Should we go into Firework 4? Let's do that. <clears throat> Verse 45. Now, this is kind of wild. This is a pretty wild afternoon for Jesus, wouldn't you say? We could just stop right there. He's been playful. He's been totally worshipped. Breaks down crying. Jesus, are, again, unstable. I don't know. Let's see. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Luke's version is pretty tame. Because we go to the John version of the story, you know what John says? John says that Jesus fashioned a whip out of cords. So I don't think Jesus just blew his lid like he had had too much emotion on the hill, you know? And then I was weeping and now he's just out of control. I think Jesus was controlled by a holy passion. And I think he really got ticked off at a few things. Ticked off enough to fashion a whip. Come on, does that bother you a little bit? Is your version of, you know, Jesus meek and mild, kind of holding the sheep right here and white robe and, you know, flowing locks, blue eyes. Does that get disturbed when you hear this? It sure is weird for me. I have to try to reconcile this in my mind. I always, when I read this, I always go, Jesus, I wish I was there. Because I, I, I need a good model for righteous anger because my anger is rarely righteous, you know? Show me righteous anger, Jesus. But he fashions a whip out of the cords, drives those guys out. Can you hear it? Can you hear the cattle lowing? Because they would have been selling cattle there for the sacrifices. Can you hear the sheep bleeding as they have to run away from the temple courts? Because those were there. Can you hear the doves squawking also there for the sacrifice? Jesus overturning the tables, the money Going all over the place. People being like, you know, sorry, probably cussing Jesus out. What is going on here? What are you doing? Who do you think you are? What is this? Can you hear it? Can you see it? This is Jesus untamed, unleashed, totally secure in what he's doing. 
I think he was driven by two passions. One, as it says, my house should be called the house of prayer. Psalm 69 was in him. He knew that the house of God is to be a house of prayer, not a place of commerce. I think it bothered him. He had zeal for his father's house. This is, this is the place where the kingdom of God should be happening, and this is far from it. But I think another zeal he had was this. Do you know that at that time at the Passover feast, uh, they, um, some historians have said that there were probably, with the whole Passover lamb that they were sacrificing, just following the Jewish festival, that in three groups of 200,000 each, uh, lambs were sacrificed. Okay, so they sacrificed 200,000 lambs at once in the temple. Can you imagine the blood and everything? And 600,000, just because of the number of visitors that were there. So you know, every family would need one. I'm not just trying to gross you out. But my point is this, is that I think Jesus was offended that with people who are coming to Jerusalem to, in honest desire to commune with God, that these guys were making a profit out of it. That they were... They were, they were just making a profit out of people's sincerity to God. I think that made Jesus mad too. The righteous anger wells up with him and he clears, clears the house. Okay? Wow. Fireworks. Jesus, playful. Buddies, let me, let, let me let you in on this little fun thing that I'll do. The center of attention. Glorious, wonderful. Jesus is praised. It's awesome. But it doesn't rock his world. We see Jesus weep over the city, sad that people are not turning to God because of the stubbornness of their hearts. And then we see a righteous anger rise up because of the house of God being dishonored. So what is it with Jesus? Remember, we started out with the glory of God is man fully alive. There's nothing more beautiful than a man or woman being fully who God has called them to be. And what I want to put out there is that it's secure people who secure the kingdom of God. It's secure people who will secure the kingdom of God. I want you to say that with me, okay? Secure people will secure the kingdom of God. So you can guarantee, I can guarantee, that as God's working in your life, as He's working in your relationships, especially, as He's working in the circumstances of your life, He is working to get you secure in who you are and who you're not. Obviously, God had done enough of a work in Jesus that he was ready for this, okay? And I know it's easy for you and me to say, well, maybe Jesus kind of cheated. You know, he was the son of God. I'm sure he was just born secure, but I don't read the scriptures that way. You know, what does Hebrews say? It says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Jesus' favorite title for himself was the son of man. Okay, he identified with man. He was a human. Jesus was fully human. Yes, fully God, but he was fully human. And so Jesus had to learn, I think, security. Of course, we see him at a young age, you know, 12 years old, going to the temple, saying, I'm at my father's house. I think there was a sense there of real stability. And of course, Mary and Joseph were a super family for him, you know. There's security there. But what's the key? How do you and I walk out in the fullness that God has for him? What, what, what did God do in Jesus' heart that he was able to have this firework display of emotion for it all to be okay. We get a couple of clues. I just want to look at them briefly. That's actually, really, it's a whole other message to go into that piece, and I don't want to belabor that, but let's just look at a couple of clues here. In John's gospel, John seems to be the one who's really keyed into it. You know, Jesus calls John the, the, the disciple, or John calls himself the disciple Jesus loved, and so I think there was a 
intimacy there, relational between John and Jesus, where John picked up on some of this stuff such that he could write about it. And um, yeah, it's in John 5. Sorry, I think I left one of my sheets down there. This is really embarrassing. This is rule number 83 on public speaking. Never leave your, I don't know. Hold on. There it is. <clears throat> thank you. I've actually been looking for it this whole time. Okay, um, thank you, God. You're good. Yeah, all right. <clears throat> so, smooth, wasn't that? Yes. All right. <clears throat> okay, yeah, John 2. Uh, yeah, so Jesus, at, at another Passion Week, we get this commentary from, excuse me, not another Passion Week. There was one Passion Week. At another Passover uh, feast that Jesus was in, uh, we get this um, editorial from John. In John 2, he says, Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name, right? Just like the guys who'd seen Lazarus. And it says, but Jesus, and get this, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Here's a good time for one of my preaching verbalizations that I practiced on Friday night. Ooh. (laughs) <laughs> okay? That's a really good piece of scripture right there. Everyone just say, ooh, ooh. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew it was in a man. Now, is Jesus just asocial? Is he just like, I don't need man, forget you, as the popular song, radio version says. Forget you too. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. Jesus spent three years in close company with people, and uh, he showed up at weddings, turned water to wine, Showed up at people's houses. He was very social. Jesus was a social guy. Pretty, pretty balanced, though. He liked his time with his father, too. But he didn't need his validation or his sense of self to come from other people. He was secure in the Father's love for him. And man, that's what God's after for you and for me. He's setting you up so that you can get this issue clarified, that you are secure in him. Okay, at another time in Jerusalem, it was another feast, probably the, um, the winter feast of tabernacles. Um, is that right? Is that fall? Yeah, okay. So what's the winter one? Booth, no, booths and tabernacles are the same thing. I think it's, what is it? Dedication. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sot. Feast of dedication, um, probably. John 5, he said this. He says, I don't accept praise from man. Now, he's getting after it with the Pharisees again, kind of his least favorite people on planet Earth. He says, hey, I, guys, I don't accept praise from man, but I know you do. All right, excuse me, I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. That's a good place for an ooh. Ooh. Okay. I've come in my Father's name, right? He's free. He's living for someone else's glory, right? He's not living for his own. He says, you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe? How can you believe? How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the Holy God? Right? Jesus is saying, I'm living for an audience of one here. I'm not reckless, but my praise comes from God. My approval, my validation, my security comes from God, my Father. And I can guarantee again that that's what God is after in you, in me, so we can be useful for him. Otherwise, we're useless and we're tossed this way and that by what people think. We're all on a journey, okay? I'm on a journey. I'm mostly preaching to myself this morning. That's okay. I'm right there in that front seat saying, yes, I need this, okay? Now let me wrap up with a um, couple things from Paul, too. Because as I as said to you, God's doing this in your life, and we can see it. He did it in Paul's life, too. Okay, Paul, big writer in the New Testament, um, church planter, and Paul got a hold of this. 
He got to hold the fact that secure people can secure the kingdom of God. Paul was worked on for years and years in a quiet place. We have this big, in, in Paul's life, we have this big blank between the time he got um, uh, knocked off the horse in Damascus to the time he enters public ministry. We have this blank of about 11 to 15 years. You wonder, God, what were you doing in that time with Paul? I think one of the things was he was settling his heart, getting him secure so that he could securely secure the kingdom of God. Listen to what Paul says. It's so much in him that it just comes out in a few of his letters. Galatians, he's writing a letter to church, uh, the churches of Galatia, and he's saying, hey guys, don't let these Judaizers trick you. In other words, you don't need all this Jewish stuff to become a Christian. It's faith alone in Jesus, by grace, you know? And he says this, he says, as he's kind of unpackaging this, he says, ah, he asks this question rhetorically, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of man or, or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's have a verbalization. Ooh. Okay? God's after this to settle it in you. Are you trying to please men or please God? You can't do both. Ultimately, you can't do both. Amen? And he gets at it again a few years later. As a little, he's a little more mature, and he writes it again to Romans. He's a church that he hasn't visited yet, but he wants to visit, and he's also working through this thing. Basically, he's working through the issue. What does it look like for Judaism to give way to Christianity? What should the relationship be between Jews and who are becoming Christians. And he says this in Romans 2. He says, A man is not a Jew if he is one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. And you say, Ooh. Okay? Such a man's Praise is not from men, but from God. Secure people will secure the kingdom of God. It's what God's after in you and me. Amen? Amen. Lord, do it in us, we pray. Why don't you guys stand? I want the worship team to come up. <clears throat> There's nothing more beautiful than a man or woman walking fully in what God has called them to do or be. So what I'm going to give us... A little opportunity to do here in a moment is to just ask the Lord simply, Lord, show me, where am I too motivated by the opinions of others? I know a lot of times in the church we talk about the fear of man. It's usually in in regards to evangelism, like, ooh, I'm too scared to share the gospel. But I'm talking about something way more broad than that, and that is, you know, God, where am I too concerned or pressured by the fear of others? And often it's very subtle, especially the longer you've been in the church. There's subtle ways that you do it. And I do it, and uh, we, we need the Holy Spirit because he's the counselor. Where are we spending too much emotional energy worrying about what people's reactions are? You know, Jesus was fearless. He was able to upturn the, temple, uh, upturn the tables of the temple. Of course, it could have been that very thing that, you know, got him in a place where he got crucified, but he was free. He, he knew that God's destiny was, was on him. And we just need to repent. And, um, you know, if we'll attend to this issue of God securing us so we can securely advance his kingdom... That's what's going to make us all that we want to be and all that God needs us to be and all the world needs us to be uh, for, for the kingdom. I love the book that we um, read in the first uh, module of our training school, Navigate. And um, it's one by a guy named Richard Foster called Celebration Discipline. It just lays out you know, what it looks like to discipline yourself, put yourself in a place of being able to receive from God more. And... Um, he says this, it's, I think it's in the preface, or at least in chapter one there, he says, hey, the world doesn't need more anointed people. The world doesn't need more gifted people. He says the, the world needs more deep people. So 
you need to pay attention when God's working these things in you. You know, when you're rubbing shoulders with someone and it's a way that's uncomfortable, it's like, ah, oh, this is weird, or I feel insecure here, what's going on? You pay attention, you invite the Lord in and say, God, how are you working me so that I get secure, so that I can securely advance your kingdom? That's your question. It's important that we all do it, okay? Not just a few. We all got to walk in it. It doesn't matter where your gifting is. It's going to come out clean um, when you get secure. Amen? Amen. <coughs> so let's do this. Let's, why don't we all just close our eyes and bow our heads. Be in a posture of prayer. If you want to open your hands before the Lord, just be in a posture of receiving before Him. Holy Spirit, first, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this awesome snapshot into probably a few hours of his life where he was all over the map emotionally. But it was all clean. It was all good. Because he'd already got a resolve in his heart that his audience was an audience of one. It was God the Father. He was living to please God the Father, not men. His validation, his secure sense of self came from God his Father. And oh, we would be the same way. Oh God, that you do the same work in us. Lord, you say in Romans 8 that you've given us the spirit, not of fear, not to be a slave again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, the spirit of sonship, daughterhood, by which we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father, and that's what we're asking for today, afresh. Secure us again. Lord, we are like ships that just get tossed about by the sea. We need you to anchor us down again. Tether us in to your love once again, we pray. Holy Spirit, in your mercy, will you just begin helping us to catalog our relationships and the responses of our hearts and where we are driven by great insecurities, great fears. We fear being exposed. We know our shame. This Holy Spirit, will you begin to attend to those and speak truth where the enemy has strongholds of lies to us? We need a fresh revelation of our secure identity in you. Because, Lord, we want to be all that you've called us to be. We want to do all that you called us to do. We want to be ablaze with the fire of God. prophet Jeremiah said, your word's like fire and it's like a hammer that smashes rocks to pieces. And Lord, we just ask that you'd light us ablaze with the word of God, the word that says that we're adopted as sons and daughters. Set us ablaze once again and hammer out those places in us that need to be shattered. Unbelief, fear, anxiety, shatter those places we pray.